Right, I think we're good. So if you could first start by introducing yourself. Hi, my name is Shauna Harris. I am a clinical sexologist and relationship coach in Arizona in the United States. And I have a practice in which is called uh, Explore Intimacy, where I help couples to elevate their level of intimacy and create longevity in their relationships and um, increase the, I guess, quality of their sex lives. So the first question I want to sort of ask you is, how did you get into this line of work? How did it, how did it start? Well, I've always been fascinated um, with how the body works. And um, my favorite course that I took in high school, I'm originally from Canada. My favorite course that I took in high school was a personal living skills course, which um, a chunk of it was delegated to human sexuality. And I just thought it was um, extremely interesting. And um, I then went on to become a teacher and I taught human sexuality uh, as part of the curriculum. And again, it was just something that I thoroughly enjoyed and it was uh, a different relationship you had with the kids in that it wasn't, you know, the math, the language, it was, it was more an emotional connection. It was more of a, it was, it was getting to know the kids more and really, I felt like I was making more of a difference than just teaching them the basic facts, I guess. So making, uh, I guess, um, equipping them with factual knowledge that could someday benefit them in making decisions that would impact their lives. And so um, I did that for a few years and then I became a mama and um you know, I moved from Canada to the United States and lots of changes happened. And um, as my children got older, I decided that I needed to maybe start thinking of things that I wanted to do. And I am a person who thrives on helping people and um, providing service. And so I went back to the human sexuality realm. I did life coaching for a while. And I um, that, again, is part of, of um, relationship coaching. But I um, wanted to do more and be more effective. So I went back and, and got more schooling and training on how to help relationships as a whole. And then also how to help sexual relationships go from, you know, okay to amazing. Thank you. Um, so describe a, a day in the life of a sexologist to the people listening. <laughs> I think that's a, a really funny question. Um, no one's ever asked me that before. And I've, I've been on quite a few podcasts. So I kind of I love that question. Well, I am a supreme health nut. So a day in the life of me as a sexologist would be I, I think that starting the day off in um in a healthy way is, has always been what I have done since like day one. So I, I work out and then I meditate. Um, I make sure my body is nourished mentally and physically. And, um, I, I make sure that I have a good, um, I have, I have some nourishment in my body and then it's, uh, it's go time. I have sessions in, in the morning. Um, and then I break for lunch and I, um, have lunch with my hubby every day. Um, and love that connection. And then in the afternoon, I typically spend a couple hours uh, doing consultations for um, prospective clients. Um, and if that is not on the table that day, I do podcasts, I do um, writing for different magazines. Um, I am an international bestselling author. So um, I, I, I help people um, um, I answer questions if, if questions come in through email or Instagram or, or TikTok or what have you um, about my book. Um, and then I, I finish off the day with typically more sessions. And then um, it's back to my life and my family. And, and then that's sort of how I close, close off the day. So later on from what we've talked about, do you want to um, talk about your book and or what was involved in doing that? Sure. Um, 
well, I've always loved to write and I never thought that I would ever write a book, but um, I'm not sure one day I just woke up and thought I, I need to get what I'm doing out to more people. And so I had in my mind that I was going to just sit down and start writing. And um, I am kind of a 100% um, give it all I got kind of person. So I just started writing and I just couldn't stop. So um, I put a lot of information to help couples because uh, one of the underlying um, elements that I do discuss with my clients is how to begin talking about sex because communication is so important in any relationship, but that just doesn't stop outside of the bedroom. It needs to, um, you, you need to discuss sex in, in your relationship for your level of intimacy to flourish and to thrive. So I wanted to get that all wrapped up in a book and just um, give it, give it to the world. And so I started that just before COVID and um, it was published January of last year. So 2021. And um, it, it's been a, it's been a great ride. It's, it's opened up doors and it's um, allowed me to meet people from all over the world. And it's just been, a, it's been a joy. And, and I'm so a proud of the fact that I put my mind to it and actually did something that I really wasn't, wasn't on my bucket list, but once I started, it was kind of addicting and just knowing that what I had to say may help. Like if I was just to help one person, then my job would have been complete, but it's just really rewarding to know that, you know, what I have gone through and, and what I have learned may and can impact people in a good way. So that is why I did it. And it, it just essentially turned into a kind of a good timing sort of, um, thing that I chose to do because when COVID hit, you know, everybody was, was, um, their lives changed. So I think a, a lot more reading happened and a lot more time was spent either getting frustrated about your relationship or working on your relationship. I think, you know, COVID was, it put a magnifier on, on relationships. And, and so I, I think that, um, my book was timely in that manner because it, it, it proved to be helpful to to some people so yeah uh, to, pl to plug your book what's the what's the name of it so people can get hold of it the book is called speaking of sex it's how to reignite the spark in your relationship spice up your sex life and create long lasting love and um the reason I chose the title speaking of sex was a, a wow factor and just to get people's eye and attention. But the main purpose was I want people speaking about sex. And so it, it, there's a, a free downloadable workbook that, that people get when they purchase the book and it, it has activities and fun things to do to break the ice and to make the, the topic of sex a little bit more um, comfortable and a little bit uh, easier, easier to, to jump on board with and, and to make it a regular topic of your conversation because it should be. That's actually something I just thought of now. Why, why do you think it is such a taboo to talk about it? Because I never really get that myself, but because it seems to be a thing that everyone's looking for and everyone wants, but we seem to not talk about it. I think that one is, is generational. I think that, you know, we, we know what we know and we, we take the knowledge that we, that we have and we make the best decisions, uh, you know, with the knowledge that we have and the knowledge that we have as, you know, teeny muffins and growing up and in adolescence is basically from our parents. And then uh, we do get some human sexuality education through school, but I'm not sure how it is in the UK, but in North America, it's, it's really nothing to write home about. It's all um, very sort of abstinence and um, learning about the biology and the, um, the anatomy, which is great because everybody needs to know about that. But I also think, we need to equip our our youth and our young adults with the 
with more. We, we need to provide them with the, the information about um, what happens emotionally and what happens physically and what happens to the entirety, the holistic part of, of sex and talking about, you know, pleasure and, and how nobody's pleasure is more important than the other. And um, I just think that generationally, whether it is, is due to religion or whether it is due to, you know, preconceived thoughts and notions that our parents and our grandparents had that, you know, sex is dirty, or there's only one reason that we need to have sex and that's to procreate. I just think that that's a, you know, a, a sad sort of way to look at sex when it can be something so much more and it can be used as such a positive way to enhance relationships when um, good and healthy decisions are made. Yeah, most definitely. And uh, what, why should people use and what, uh, why should people use a sexologist and why? Well, I, I think that we use we use what we, you know, the, the resources that we have in front of us. So if something is wrong with the electricity in our house, we call an electrician. If something is wrong with the plumber, the plumbing, we call a plumber. If we have a question in school, we ask our teacher or somebody that maybe have experience, has experienced these things before that can provide us with more knowledge to help us, you know, along the way, or to help us get over a hurdle. And I think the reason why um, relationship coaching and sexology or sexologists are so important is that they, they help people who are in a rut or they help people um, get the information that they might not have. As mentioned before, um, the, the sex education that most of us have is really not up to snuff. And so we are basing our decisions on maybe information that we've seen on the internet or that we've heard from peers on the playground or, uh, you know, in college or through trial and error, if we're, you know, experimenting on our own or through porn. And I think that those are, although although those are sources of information, they might not be the best sources of information. And so sexology provides factual information that is holistic and that can help people through to the next level and make their relationship into something that they have always wanted it to be. Yeah, I think you're supportive about that because people do get other sources, but either that, like porn, for example, it's it's not a very it's not a really good representation of actually what it what it is because it's it's normally faked or the scenarios played at played out like it's acting but that's not what it's like in in real life really no and i i think that you know when when people spend their time watching pornography it it, it sort of it molds their mind into what things should be when like you said it is all acting like part of my training was to watch a film being filmed and it is absolutely incredible how every second is choreographed and every noise is 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 told to be made and every move is is directed and it's not real life and it's not a great depiction of what an intimate healthy sex life should look like yeah as you said it's on so previously on the show, I've spoken to uh, dating coaches. What is the main difference between dating coaches and sexologists? What, what are the main differences? Because some people might be wondering. Well, I think any type of coach um, is a great resource. And I think everybody should, you know, utilize what they can. I think maybe the difference between a sexologist or um and a dating coach would be that a dating coach might, or in in my understanding, they spend their um, their energy discussing what to look for and what your checklist should be, and maybe some red flags of what you were looking for in in a person, and how to maybe set yourself up to 
put out the, the best energy that you can to attract the best soulmate or the, uh, the best mate. And um, maybe they, as far as I'm understanding, they work more so on the, um, the steps before you enter a long-term relationship. And then maybe into, you know, into a, a bit of the long-term relationship, because obviously dating can go on for years and years and years. What a sexologist does um, differently, in my opinion, is that they focus on the after. So they focus on how to take what you've, you have and how to take what, um, you know, the skills that you have in your relationship and how to, um, how to better them and how to achieve the relationship goals that you want with the person that you have chosen. So that includes sex. Absolutely. But it's, it's so much more than, than just the, the sexual aspect of your relationship. Uh, yeah. Uh, what, what is the first step someone can uh, take to helping a healthy relationship? I think the first step is awareness because we, we only can make ch uh, changes and we only can make better decisions when we are aware that maybe we do need to step it up and pull up our socks and maybe make some changes. So I think being aware that maybe you're not the best communicator or maybe that your conflict resolution styles are not as effective as they should be, or maybe that you aren't initiating sex and your partner is doing all the initiating, which causes some, you know, resentment and rejection and those feelings sort of build up over time. So I think a sense of awareness would probably be um, my, my first thing. And um, then actually taking that sense of awareness and making the decision to do something about it. Yeah, um, sort of it's similar question, but sort of leading on on from that, can you tell us one small thing that you think um, most uh, listeners can do to make their sex life uh, better? Sure. I mean, I I could be here all day with you if you want. <laughs> But if I were okay, to what, take... what what are some of the most like like common ones? I, I think a, a really important one and a really sort of more simplistic one is to really look at your relationship outside the bedroom. Look at how you are interacting, look at how you are are touching, like I, I'm talking about non-sexual touch here. So look how you are reacting how do what's the tone of your voice when you talk to your your partner um are you complimenting them are you appreciating them are you wanting to spend quality time with them are you curious about them are you asking questions are you engaging are you present when you are having a conversation and um not on your phone or other device when you were trying to have a, a you know a conversation so i i I think an easy one is to take a look at, at what's happening on outside of your relation or outside of the bedroom, because what's happening outside of the bedroom very much um, is magnified when you're inside of the bedroom. So if you don't have a great connection outside, you are definitely not going to have a good connection inside of the bedroom. So just take point of that. And you can make small changes every day. Like if you're, I often talk about the, the five love languages and uh, Gary Chapman's five love, love languages. And, you know, he talks about um, physical touch and quality time and acts of service and gift giving. And um, uh, what's the last one? Um, words of confirmation. And so if you, if you know that your partner feels really loved by spending quality time with them, you're not going to keep giving them gifts as you're, because that is not how they feel loved the most. You are going to want to spend some quality time, show some eye contact when you're having a conversation and, and really be present with them. And then that is how they feel loved. Yes, all the other things can and are important, but you know we all typically have one or two dominant love languages that we need to be aware of in ourselves and in our partner. So then we can be more effective in, in showing them the way that they feel loved. 
that are sort of going on for that because I think people do this. They um when they're having sexual intercourse, they may be concentrating on them on themselves and have anxiety when in in the act. How do people? What's one of the main things people can do to alleviate maybe that problem? You know, like performance performance anxiety really. Performance anxiety, just like any type of anxiety, it is going to get the better of you if you allow it to. So, you know, that's when your nervous, your, your, your nervous system starts getting all wired up and you've got adrenaline pumping, then the cortisol takes over. And once that cortisol takes over in your mind, your ability to relax and enjoy and focus in the moment has, has, you know, has really been wiped out. So what I like to talk about with um, performance anxiety is you need to have a plan. Any goal can be achieved, but it's a lot easier to do with a plan. So if you know you are an anxious type or you know you have performance anxiety, you know yourself the best. So what are some things that alleviate your feelings of anxiety? Sometimes people like to, you know, deep breathe. Sometimes people like to have a bath before. Some people like to have a massage or some people like to actually just sit with themselves for a couple minutes and just think think through what, you know, the process and, and, and think like, this is essentially a gift that I'm giving myself. Yes. It's a gift that I'm giving my partner, but it doesn't help me to get worked up. So I just need to, you know, relax and focus on the moment. And sometimes even focusing on instead of, you know, um, if, you know, if, if it's a male that is having um, performance anxiety. So if he's focusing on his erection and, oh my gosh, don't be a 10 second man. Don't be a 10 second man. Don't be a 10 second man. Guess what? He's going to be a 10 second man. So take, you know, take those, those little thoughts that are churning in your mind and flip them around and focus on, I I'm, I'm trying to show my partner that I am loving her and I, I want to be here for her and I want to make her feel good. So I'm going to focus on what she needs in the moment. And if it's, if it's, um, you know, a female in, in the process, you know, women always think, you know, my thighs are fat or my cellulite showing, or my boobs are saggy, or, you know, those things start swirling in their minds. And then they're off into, you know, their spiral, you know, pattern of thinking. So it's sometimes easy to just sit and breathe for a couple seconds and think, okay, what am I feeling in this moment? And start focusing on the senses. What am I smelling? What am I hearing? What am I, what am I seeing? What am I smelling? Like you go through your senses and just, you know, focus on the sensations that you are experiencing in the moment. And that can drown out those anxious thoughts and, and, you know, help you focus in the moment. Yeah. Cause I think if people are, if people aren't concentrating on themselves, the, the other partner will have a pleasurable experience. Cause when you are worried about yourself, that, that, if you're worrying about yourself as it is, then the whole experience isn't going to end up being a good one. No, I agree. So what are, what are some of the biggest turnoffs in relationship in relationships? Would you say? Oh gosh. I think this one is so dependent on the individual. And um, one of the exercises that I do do with my clients is, um, to get them talking about sex or what, what are your turnoffs? What are your turn-ons or what are your accelerators? What are your brakes? And I mean, there are some wild and crazy ones out there. And then there are some common ones. Um, you know, smell is a big, is a big turn on or turn off. So, you know, if your partner comes really sweaty and stinky, some people are completely turned off by that. Again, some people can be turned on by that. So, you know, being aware of, of, you know, your cleanliness factor and, and coming, maybe having had a, and a shower or a quick rinse off or whatever, that's one, um, music can be a turn on, um, a touch is a huge one. And here you have to know your partner. Some people love having their feet touched while others mm, they're out. Don't touch my feet. 
or, you know, some people love having their hair played with or their back rubbed or having a massage or their inner thighs touched. So it's, it's a very, very individualistic in, in that, you know, we all have erogenous zones or places that we like to be, be touched and you sort of have to zone in and get to know your partner a little bit and, and figure out what are their turn-ons. Like a turn-on can be dim lit room with candles or rose petals on the, on the ground. Or, you know, I, I always think of um, foreplay when, when I talk about foreplay, it doesn't start, you know, 10 or 20 minutes before intercourse. It starts well before that. And sometimes I like to say it starts at the end of your last sexual encounter. Because every interaction that you have with your partner and every word that you speak is essentially building them up and taking you towards a goal of being more connected or it's taking you away from. And the way women respond, the way their you know, sexual response uh, cycle happens is that they, they need to feel safe and they need to feel connected and they need to feel like it's okay for them to be vulnerable in order for them even to be turned on. So I think it's important to be aware of how you are interacting and, and how you are like, you can turn on your, on, on your partner by, you know, being across the room and giving them a wink or um, sending them a flirty text or sending putting a DM, um, giving a, shooting them a DM throughout the day, telling them what you wanted to do to them, you know, later on in the night, like the, the, the possibilities are endless. Like I could go on and on and on for hours, but you know, it's, it's just really, I guess, tuning in and, and starting to become more aware of what your partner likes. And I mean, once you know what your partner likes, it's a cheat sheet from, you know, now till the end of time, of course, people evolve and some things change, but that's why communication is so important because you, you know, you can communicate those things to your partner. Yeah. As you say, communication is the key. As you said earlier, and you talk people before they go into intimacy with each other, you'd hope they would talk to each other and say what maybe they don't like or, or what they do like. It is so important. Like it's, it's a conversation that a lot of couples don't have. And it's, it's such a vital one because you are essentially paving the path to turning your partner on when you know those things. So why wouldn't you set each up each other up for success? So communication. Yes. I, I just think communication is the glue to a really strong foundation and it's, it's going to get you, um, into into a, a really healthy path yeah and of course it's good to talk about it before you get in the bedroom and rather you get in there and then you don't know what each other like and that that could make that probably very awkward oh I think you know what I'm so glad you brought that up because there's sort of like an unwritten rule that I like to share with my clients in that when you are talking about sex it needs to be saved for outside of the bedroom. Like your bedroom is sexually charged and that energy in there, that is for when you are connecting and you are being intimate. And that's like, that's a special place. And so when you are talking about things that you, um, you know, if you're planning um, or if you're talking about your turn-ons, your turn-offs or something that maybe you, you weren't, a fan of the last time or something that you would like to see more of. I, I suggest always having those conversations outside of the bedroom because when you're in there, it's go time. And it's, it's about, you know, connecting and, and um, making use of that energy and that, and the, and that time for such a, a special bonding time. So conversations about sex are outside of the bedroom. I'm not saying that you can't guide and you can't say, you know, I, I love that, or please, you know, continue to do that. Or how about we do, you know, it, it, you can have that an element of that um, during your, your intimate time, but for the most part, conversations outside of the bedroom. Yeah. As you say, you, you should only be directing. It shouldn't be full blown conversations or yeah, exactly. You should communicate it before. No, because um, that's a big turnoff. Yeah. 
what um what are some of the red flags you have noticed with uh, with people in gentry generally in relationships so are you asking the red flags that they might see in their relationship um she maybe not maybe ones that you you see people making or red flags people should look out for when dating I think when that when you are in, in involved in a healthy relationship, um, obviously, if if you're talking about um, an unhealthy relationship, things such as you know abuse and um, mental illness and all of those things, that that's something different, um, and that is you know a whole other conversation. But if you are involved in a healthy relationship, and um, you you are starting to notice a different pattern in your, in your partner's behavior, such as maybe emotional withdrawal or physical withdrawal, or um, maybe you can sense a bit of anger. Maybe something hasn't been discussed. Communication again comes into play. If you are not communicating on a regular basis, all of these are red flags because resentment builds up, anger builds up, um, you know, sadness builds up. If you, you know, have initiated a few times and you've gotten to know every time rejection builds up, like rejection is felt in the same area of your brain that pain is felt. So it can be an actual physical sense of pain. So I think, again, this whole set, this whole sense of being attuned to your partner and really knowing them and being aware of them is so important because if you do notice something is off, you can say, you know, Hey, honey, I noticed that you seem a bit off. Like, can, is there something that I can do to support you today? Or is there something that I can do to make you feel loved today? So I think, you know, being attuned into your partner and, and being aware of, of their behavior, noticing anything different. And then in yourself, I think you, you also need to be incredibly self-aware because if we are not self-aware on, on our feelings and what we are going through, then, then we can start to behave in a way that is not true to who the partner that we want to be. And so I, I again, communication is, is a, a huge part there because um, I think that you, if you are wanting to grow your relationship and you want your relationship to thrive, I always equate it or make the analogy of a garden. If you do not water your garden and if the sunshine does not penetrate the, the soil, it will not grow. So the same thing is, is you know, it has to do with the relationship. If you do not put in those little small efforts every single solitary day, you are not feeding your relationship the effort and the love and the attention that it needs. And then it, it will suffer. Uh, do you think um, modern life has made dating easier or harder? <laughs> oh, gosh. I think this is a twofold answer for me because today's dating I think it's, it's so empowering because you women know what they want. And, and um, well, I guess, you know, everybody knows more of what they want and they're more vocal about it. And so, I mean, that, that is, I think, I think that's amazing. And that's what it should be like, because we are, we're more prone to then communicate and have the confidence to communicate um, where I think it gets a little bit, you know, sticky and a little bit complicated is that, you know, you know, a years back, 50 years ago, um, maybe even not even. And so I'm not saying it's either good or bad. It's just a little bit more confusing now. So men are to be the, um, you know, the strong one, the rock, the provider, the, you know, you know, you know what I'm saying? And, and now we expect, we expect that, but, you know, society expects way more. They expect them to be great listeners and providers and great lovers and our best friend and, you know, our emotional support system and our, you know, 
our, our place to go when we want to have fun, our place to go when we need to cry, our place to go when we need to vent, our place, you know, they are the, I think that the roles have been evolved in a good way, but it also has brought confusion because I think as a male, it would be hard to date, harder to date in, in this day and age because a, I think the media has brought fear in with regards to like, is it okay for me to touch your shoulder? And I think consent is, is an absolute must, but it's something that wasn't so much feared before. It was just an, a lot more of an easy, an easier question, I think in, in my mind. And so I think, I think it has become harder I mean, now everything is more fluid and you have more options, which is amazing. I think that's fantastic. But I, I think that some of the lines have been um, been blurred. And if you look at, the, that, at it from that perspective, it can appear harder. I think, you know, the more knowledge that we have and the more we educate ourselves and the more sex positive we become, we then can make it easier because we're working with more knowledge, but until, you know, until society believes that sex is not as taboo and it's okay to educate yourself and use the resources that, you know, that are out there that it, you know, it will continue to be a bit more of a struggle, but I think we're going in the right direction. Yeah. I think um, if you know where to look, it, it does uh, make it, make it easier. I think it can Absolutely. be quite complicated, uh, quite complicated. Some where if, if people don't know where to look, because it's quite a competitive market. But I think if you know where to look, it definitely does. That definitely does open the door. Agreed. And I think if you're true to yourself, and if you know what you know values, and you know what you were looking for, I think if you get clear on that then it can become a bit easier because like I said, like everything seems to be way more complicated, but if we strip all of that away, nothing has changed. We all want to be loved. We all want to be appreciated. We all want to be seen. We all want to be heard and we all want to be understood. So that those very basic needs of a relationship are still there and they will be there till the end of time. So if we can look at it from a more simplistic way, I think, that can make it easier it's just making sure that you're true to yourself and you make those important boundaries that that you have and and you know have at her and like you said know where to look how can uh, couples keep their sex like active and fulfilled uh, after they've been together for a long time oh i love this one um this one, again, I, I think society has made it so, you know, complex and, you know, there's a, a, a belief out there that once you get married, your sex life is over. And I think that is just such a sad, you know, a sad belief. And I think it is so incredibly untrue because perspective is everything. When, when you choose the person that you want to be with and you want to be in a long-term relationship, you are making a decision how you want your relationship to be. So again, like I mentioned before, every action that you take, every word that you utter, it's, it's sort of a vote to be the person and to be the partner that you want to be. So those small little efforts build up over time. And if you remain curious and ask questions, it doesn't matter if you've been married or with your partner for five years for 50 years, you do not know everything about your partner. So it's, it's about being curious. It's about asking questions. It's about, again, communication is huge. It's about trying new things and being open and instilling that fun element in your relationship and always pursuing that. Do not let your relationship go stale. Date night is huge. And I know that's that one that that's brought up a lot, but it's so important because you are actually, you know, leaving your, your busy world behind, making your partner a priority in that however many hours that you choose to go on your date. And you were just enjoying each other's company. It doesn't matter what you do. You could have a picnic on the floor. 
in your kitchen if somebody had your kids or you could be you know in the backyard having a picnic or going for a walk or a hot air balloon or you know like the obviously dates can be simple they can be extravagant it's the whole point is to make time and quality time and and spend it with your partner and in you know implementing that element of fun because when we are doing the same pattern day in and day out and day in and day out, I mean, that does become boring. And the only person that can change that is you. So I often say like, if you're bored in your relationship, what are you doing to eliminate the boredom? I mean, there's so many things you could do. So just, you know, communicating with your partner and what, what are some fun things that they want to do? What are some fun things that you want to do and start doing those things together yeah and um yeah people should definitely definitely do that as you say it's weird to people think it's once you get married they draw a line that's it it's like that's not your i think you're doing a bit of a justice to yourself really if you're yeah, saying, I, I, oh, totally, well. I agree i agree because if you settle then that's all you're getting so you don't settle, you get married to have this incredible relationship and to build a family if that's what you choose. And your relationship is what you make it. So make it something amazing. And um, if it's not amazing, then start to take the steps to make it amazing. You can start today. If your relationship has been stale and has stunk for the past five years, 10 years, five months, that, I mean, do something about it. You be the change. And the first part of that is, like I said at the very beginning, is to be aware. Once you're aware, then you can make the decision to change that. And um, there's so many different elements of an intimate relationship. And that recreational intimacy that I just spoke of being, you know, doing activities together and having fun together, that is such an easy way to put a kickstart to making your relationship something amazing. As you say, to main thing I picked out of that is you need to at least make time for your partner, even if it's an hour or two hours, just you and your partner. And you need to, if people, if, if people in a couple decide that's what they need to do, they need to, there needs to be a bit of flu, fluidity, but as, you know, as long as there is a time where they make time and the kids are either over child's minds or out of the way, it's just them two making time for one another. That's probably the easiest way of starting for most people, would you say? Yeah. You know what? It is so, so important. I mean, I have kids and I remember as a mama, it's hard because you want to be the perfect mama and you want to be and give everything to your kids. And I mean, I did it and you try to have that Wonder Woman cape and it it's it burns you out. And I think that it is not a gift that you give your kids when you do, do when you do that. I think creating a relationship with your partner is and having your kids be witness to that is one of the best gifts that you can actually give your kids. And so when people say it's too busy, we can't do date night, we've got soccer and hockey and cricket and football and blah, 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 blah. And you list all of these million things. I understand that because I've been there and I had, you know, two kids play two competitive sports. It is hard. But what I like to say about that, you make time for what you want to make time for. And your kids are going to grow up and they are going to leave and go off to college or university or find their new job and, and, you know, venture off into their own world. And then what you're left with a relationship that you haven't nourished for the past 10, 15, 20 years. No, you've got to take care of the relationship that you have with your partner. And again, like I said, that is the biggest gift that you can give your kids. And then they are going to see, oh my gosh, my mom and dad, they worked at it. And that is something that I want, or, you know, you can be a, a great role model to them and you can do it. I know that things get busy. And even if you cannot have a two hour window in a week, make it 20 minutes or, you know, go hide in a closet when the kids are having a, are playing a game or whatever. It, it doesn't, 
the amount of time when you're in the thick of things, when, when you can't even find time to use the restroom by yourself, like <laughs> sometimes days are so busy and you've got little people pulling on you at, at all times. I just say, even if it's five minutes of making out in the closet, you have made a connection and you have made an effort that day. And maybe it'll be 10 minutes tomorrow. And, you know, maybe it'll be two minutes the next day, but you have made an effort. So all it takes is those little efforts that build up over time. And again, I know life is busy, but that word is, is so overused. And it's to me, I, I sometimes think people use it as an excuse and it, it needs to be eliminated. We can be as busy as we want to be and make our lives out to be, but that's our, that's our partner. Like that's our biggest cheerleader. And that's the person we chose to be with until, you know, we choose otherwise or we pass away or whatever. And so you need to make the most of it and you need to make them a priority in your life. Yeah. And also by, by thing, if you don't actually do that, ironically, it, you you can actually have a problem where your kids will actually see that you and your other half don't have a good relationship and by consequence they can pick up on that as well absolutely they see things that you do not think they see and they are going to mimic and they are going to you, they might end up doing the same thing when they get older so i think why not break the pattern and why not start making an effort today because again like your kiddos see that they're sponges yeah. Uh, one question I particularly wanted to ask is, why do you think um, an age gap between couples is still judged wide, uh, by society? Uh, and is there any reason why this could get in the way of a healthy sex life? Well, ironically, I think that there is a bigger stigma when one like when a female is older than a male which to me it doesn't there's there shouldn't be a difference at all um I, I think more than the number comes into play I think it is you know emotional intel intelligence I think it sometimes it's intellectual intelligence intelligence if you if you find somebody that you work well with and that you can have intellectually stimulating conversations and that you are completely into and that you are on the same page emotionally and all of that thing, you know, those kinds of things. And you have similar goals and, you know, you want the same things to me, age is nothing, is nothing. But I think when, when it does cause problems is a if you let the outside world and what they say affect you that will cause problems so again it's nobody's business but your own and i think as long as you are not impacting anybody in a negative way then your business is your business so um i think where it can get a little bit tricky is where the you know emotional um i guess the, the emotional iq or the emotional maturity isn't in the source in the same realm. Cause I think that that can cause some, some heartaches and some issues and some conflict. But I mean, I think conflict can be worked through. It's just, if, do you have the tools to work through that effectively? Going back so I think to, it can work. I think it's go, great. Like yeah. go back to what you said earlier. Why do you think it is a uh, judge more if I, a females with a young, younger man than, than rather around the other way? Why do I think it's just, I, I just think that's a, that's a, 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 you know, a picture of where our society is at and has been for a, you know, a really, really long time. I think that we, we all have social norms and we all have in our mind, you know, the, the way a relationship should look like a relationship should look like and what people should be doing. And, you know, a, you know, an age, differential of, you know, two or three years is fine, but 10, you know, so I, I just think it's, it's where our society is at. I don't know, you know, I don't know where that started or why that started, but it, it's just a, you know, a, a snapshot of, of where we're at. And I think we're starting to move away from that. And it's starting to be more widely accepted, which I think is great because you know what, like who, 
who cares if people are happy and like I said, they're not doing anything to, you know, hurt somebody else or, you know, affect somebody in a negative way. It's, it's really none, none of their business. I'm going to be quite open with you to be honest. I've, I would that an older woman quite easily. I, it wouldn't bother me in the slightest. I know people would talk about it, but as you say, people are going to talk about whatever they want, it, but I don't see why the thing, it makes me laugh when people think, two or three years is a big gap and you're like oh well I'd be quite happy if someone was I don't know 10 or 15 years older than me but you know, I love it I think it's 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 all about you know the confidence in yourself and the self-love that you have and again somebody's opinion of you or somebody's you know words that are coming your way it, it's more of 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 uh, uh, how, how do I say this it's more of what's going on within them as opposed to what anything that you're doing. So I just think it's taken me a, a long time to understand that and be completely confident in that. But, you know, what, what people say about me and my relationship is, again, more of what's going on with them. Like, I'm super happy with what I have and what I've created and all that. That's what's important. And, you know, the people that surround me and that are my sort of like core my family and my core support system, that's all really that, that matters in, in the big scheme of life and all of the other, you know, people out there that are nattering on social media or have something negative to say, they have things to work on in their life and, you know, in, inside themselves. And it's really got nothing to do with, with the choices that I am making. If something isn't hurting, hurting someone else or do or hurting, then it's not was a business, as you say. Right. So I thought I'll go this question because it's quite interesting. So I'm a bit of a history enthusiast. What in, in what period in time do you think uh, had the best 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 sex? Bit of a, a weird <laughs> one out there, but the question. But I I don't know. I I think it's funny when I look at back at the history of sex because. You know, there was a time in, you know, um, I don't know, there's so many different things that I, I could mention here, you know, in the Middle Ages, like sex was deemed, there were so many rules. And if you did it on Sunday, you would be thrown in jail or you would be headed or um, if you, you know, in, in, in ancient Rome, um, they stayed away from lettuce because they thought it would be, we would, you know, cause erectile dysfunction. And, you know, in, in ancient, in, in ancient Egypt, in like a 3100 or something, if a woman wore red lip, that means she was down to give oral sex. So it was just so fascinating to me to, to look at the, the history of, of, of sex. Um, in the 1970s, you know, monogamy was questioned and everybody was, you know, was kind of a free for all. And so, um, I don't know, in the 1990s, um, you know, um, I think more S and M's was 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 starting to come into play, and it was more widely accepted. So, what era do I think? Uh, I think de depending on your personality and the things that that you like, it's very you know dependent on on you. Like the Puritan era, that's when sex became okay to like just to go out and have sex anywhere. I mean, that's kind of awesome but at the same time you got it you know you got to be a little bit careful so I think you know every era has something that has brought us to today and has made us who we are essentially and what we you know our beliefs in our in our sort of our thoughts about sex but like the freedoms that we have now and the empowerment that, that we have as individuals now and the choices and the boundaries. And um, I think that's pretty incredible right now. But, you know, when I, when I do look back, I, I do think that, you know, some of, some of the things in, in his, in the history of sex are, are kind of, kind of incre incredible. <laughs> but uh, that, I, one, I that one about lettuce was interesting. Isn't that funny? Funny. The Romans a, thought that lettuce caused erectile dysfunction. And, you know, it, it's funny, like, I, I don't know, you know, how, how much information that you want, or maybe if I'm crossing a line, but, you know, like the very first vibrator was introduced 
to um, when when people were having like manic um, um, episodes and they were trying to calm women down, a doctor would use a vibrator, and they that's what that's that that's why it was it was you know it was used. And now I mean they're widely sold everywhere and anywhere. So I just, I just think that you know when you look back, there's been so much that that we have grown from and learned from. But it's definitely, definitely interesting. I'd, I'd say though that I definitely think the worst time is probably, uh, probably, especially in England, the Victorian, Victorian times, because they were they were very weird and very secretive. Almost. Yeah, secretive so many rules and taboos, and I mean, <laughs> even the outfits and. All of the, oh, I mean, I mean, beautiful when when you look from afar, but actually to get in and and out and out of that and the rules going forward and and who you were able to have sex with and and the reasons why, definitely different than from today. And I'm I'm happy to say that I'm glad that I wasn't born then. <laughs> so uh, obviously the pan the pandemic's happened. Have you uh, been noticing an impact on people's relationships because of it? I have. And I think that, um, you know, when, when most people ask me this question, I think that they assume that it's mostly negative. And to be honest with you, the people that come with me or come and talk to me, they either have grown and flourished and their relationship has become so much better. And that is so fascinating to me. Or else, like most people think, it, you know, a divorce rate, the divorce rate has, has increased. So I think it's whatever you had and whatever foundation that you had going into the pandemic was magnified a hundred times. So if you had a good relationship going in and you had the tools in your pocket to deal with the things that you had to deal with, then you were off to the races. If you started COVID and you were sort of uncertain and you weren't a good communicator and you didn't have the tools to, you know, hit things, you know, head on and, and to work through things with your partner as a team, then you would have struggled and it would have caused some cracks that hopefully that you would have reached out and asked for help with because, I think COVID did so many amazing things, but it also, um, you know, it also caused some harm where people weren't quite sure what to do with their relationships. Yeah, definitely. I do agree that that point about, you know, if people's relationship were rocky before, this probably certainly didn't, didn't help that. No. Uh, So this is, so do you, do you think it's possible for a single person to enjoy healthy, no string attached sex life without getting hurt? Oh, this is a loaded question. <laughs> Look at the smile on your face. You're like ready, bracing for impact. Okay. So this is what I think. I think it is very highly dependent on the individual. Some people can engage in hookups or short-term relationships or like a one night stand or whether whatever, and be fine with it with no strings attached. But I also think that some people cannot. And the reason that I want to kind of dig a little bit into this is because a lot of people don't realize that your biggest sexual organ is your brain. And it is not what is between your legs at all. Obviously that plays a part, but your biggest sexual organ is in your brain. So your brain is the one that conjures thoughts and feelings and all of those kinds of things. So expectations can be relationship killers and expectations. I think that you, you need to be careful with. So if you go in with a certain expectation that maybe this could go somewhere, or this is what I would like, or, Um, Maybe you had sex with that person and you are starting to have some feelings or you want more, I think then, then depending on the boundaries that were put in place prior to 
the, the relationship starting or the, the hookup or whatever it, it was. Um, I, I think that, um, that could get you into trouble, but again, I think it's all dependent on the person. Some people do fine with it. And then those people that do fine with it, maybe evolve and they get older or they move into a different relationship or they meet somebody else. And then that can change. So I think it, I think it depends on the people involved. You'll probably be another thing you say blue into, into, into the face is that it's all about communication again. Oh yes. Always. It it's always that. comes back to communication. Always. I think if you're upfront about sort of like not the status of your relationship, but what, what you both want out of it, if you're both happy doing that, then that's fair enough, but you've got to make sure you both, you, I guess you're both looking for that and you're all right with it. And if right. one, one isn't okay with it, then that's when the problems emerge. Absolutely. And I think it's not a one-time conversation either. Like if this is going to be something that just happens occasionally with no strings attached, I think it needs to be a conversation that is, is had again and again. So just to make sure that you're still on that same page, because if some person's feelings don't emerge or some person's, you know, something, the expectations are starting to change, then that is where, you know, issues start to arise. So again, communication, communication, communication is so important. Yeah. And it, you're probably more likely to get, get burnt on that one. If you, if you do it with the same person over a, a, pe- a period of time, probably, because you just say, as soon as feelings get, get in there, you know people probably got to be honest with themselves and the other part uh, person yeah like honesty is uh, is such a huge a huge part of it too because when i when i said you know the brain is so it's it's your biggest sex organ when when you have sex with somebody anybody you get a flood of neurotransmitters that start like that are released. And, you know, it's the, the oxytocin and the serotonin and the dopamine and those, those do something. They, they are bonding you to the person that you are having sex with. It doesn't matter if it's just a one night stand. So you need to be very careful and very clear that that what you want is what you want because your body is doing what it does naturally. And those endorphins, those transmitter, those neurotransmitters are doing what they do naturally. And those are two conflicting things because sex is a bonding thing. It's an exchange of energy. And, um, like you, 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 you are bond, your, your, your dopamine, your serotonin, your oxytocin, oxytocin, those are all rushing through your body when you have sex. And essentially you, you are bonding yourself with somebody in, you know, an energetically speaking way. Yeah. So it's, it's near, near to the end. Uh, I was thinking the last sort of question I wanted to finish off on, uh, if there was one piece of advice you could give to your younger self, what would, what would have it what would it have? What would it? So I'm tongue tied. What would it have been? Oh gosh, I love this question too. I was always such a rule follower, and I'm not saying anything's wrong with that because I think that that is. I think that this is such a great. I mean, it's made me who I am. So I, I think that um, I was always worried about um, what other people thought, and I think that is normal when you are of a young age, but what I would tell myself now is not to be so worried about what other people think of you and the choices that you make in your, you know, in your sexual um, relationships, um, be true and, and stick to who you are and what you believe in. Um, I always, I always was such a, you know, I, I stood my ground and I, you know, I did lose boy boyfriends because I wasn't ready. And I'm so proud of the fact that I did that because again, it has made me who I am. But once you find that, you know, the, the person that you, you know, want to have sex with and you're okay to have sex with and you feel safe with and all that kind of stuff, my, I think I would tell myself to, 
you know, like believe in myself more and be like, love myself more because you can't give what you don't have. So if I was able to love myself more and I'm talking from the outside and on the inside, I would have been able to let go more and have more fun in the bedroom at the beginning and embrace myself as a sexual being because we are all born sexual beings. So be open, be willing, have fun, try new things and educate yourself on on the things that you want to know more about and that you're unsure about don't rely on you know trial and error go find out go ask somebody there's always somebody that's willing to help so i just think that um being more knowledgeable and just letting go and having fun and loving every flaw that i think i had because nobody sees those flaws but me yeah i think people that that coy about it or don't try things you, you you probably later on in life you're probably going to regret that you didn't didn't do that I mean yeah you could I mean I don't regret anything because I, I I'm happy with the choices that I made but I also you know got a, a smack to the side of the head one day and you know like wake up like what are you doing with your life and you know I started to transition it in, in in my journey of self-confidence and and being who I was created to be so I think it again it's, it's all about self-awareness and you know learning to love yourself and because when you do love yourself you can then love somebody else with everything in you because you have that to give I think, uh, I think that's that's it from my point but um yes yeah, so thanks for um thanks for coming on thank you for having me I, I appreciate it I had fun <laughs>